Today we're talking about the topic of joy. And in our broken world, joy can be a very complex topic. Today is also Mother's Day, and in our broken world, Mother's Day can be very complex as well. I want to start by looking at the complexities of Mother's Day to help us understand the complexities of joy in our broken world. See, Mother's Day can be a day of great celebration. And in fact, many of us do have many reasons to be thankful and grateful and celebratory on Mother's Day. Many of us have mothers who raised us uh, on a very solid foundation in which to build our lives, who loved us deeply, or who still love us uh, if they're still alive and still in our lives. Um, mothers that we really should be grateful to because mothering is certainly not an easy role in life. So, so Mother's Day can be full of celebration, but on the, on the other hand, Mother's Day can be very challenging. It can be full of heartache. I wasn't really aware of this, um, this type of scenario until I got older in life. When I was young, I thought Mother's Day was just something you, you dress up for church, and you uh, make your mom a card, and you go out and pick some flowers from the yard and give them to her. And I thought that's what Mother's Day was all about. But as I've gotten older, I've come to find Mother's Day for some women is certainly one of the more difficult days of the year, and some, some men as well, depending on, on what's going on in their lives. Because for some people, Mother's Day is hard if they've lost a child or if they've lost a mother, and, and Mother's Day reminds them of losing their mother. Mother's Day can be challenging for those who want to be mothers, but for various reasons are not or cannot be mothers. Mother's Day can be challenging if you have children who are a little bit wayward or perhaps way off in left field somewhere. Mother's Day can be challenging um, if, if mothers are going through a lot of difficulties, if mothers were not there for you when you were younger. Maybe they just didn't give you the love and nurture that kids should have. And, and so Mother's Day reminds you of, of the ache that you wish your mother could have filled. So Mother's Day can be a very, very challenging day. I, I've come to find out as I've grown older that there are a lot of women around this country who intentionally skip church on Mother's Day because they don't want to be reminded of that heartache that is inside of them. Even for adopted children. Here, here at Freedom's Church, we place a lot of emphasis on adoption and orphan care, and for good reason. God calls us to care for orphans, to adopt. Um, and, and so we have a lot to celebrate here about what God's doing in our midst with a lot of adoptive families and families who care for orphans and foster care in our midst. But we need to recognize that even this topic of adoption can bring up a lot of challenges with Mother's Day. For many uh, families for whom adoption is part of their story, Mother's Day is certainly one of the most difficult days of the year. You may be wondering, okay, how can that be? Because, man, there's a loving family who's brought a, a child in need into their family. So why can it be such a hard day? Well, there's this thing called the primal wound. The primal wound talks about the fact that for children, their first main connection with another human being is with their birth mother. Even if their birth mother gives their child up um, for adoption or abandons them at a few hours or a few days old, there's still a nine-month connection in the womb. And so when that connection is severed for one reason or another, it leaves a wound. It's called a primal wound with that primary first relationship with the birth mother. And so Mother's Day, oftentimes, even as adopted children celebrate the fact that they're now in a home where they're receiving love and nurture, it can be very challenging for them emotionally as they reflect on their birth mother, who's no longer there with them. 
And so Mother's Day, it's a day of great celebration and thankfulness at times, but it can also be a day of sorrow and, and trouble and heartache. And I think this is a great picture also of why joy can be so challenging in our world. Because with joy, I mean, we have a lot of different things that can bring us a sense of joy and happiness and contentment. But there are also a lot of things in this world that cause suffering and pain and just drain that sense of joy that's inside of us. And today we're really asking the question of how can we maintain a sense of joy in the midst of a broken and troubled world? How can we maintain joy in the midst of a broken world? I invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4. We're in a series right now that's called Fruit of the Spirit. And what we are doing in this series is looking at a passage out of Galatians chapter 5 where Paul lists nine qualities. He says that these qualities will be developed and generated inside of us by the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit is in the driver's seat of our lives. And these nine qualities are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what we're doing in this series is taking one week looking at each one of these qualities that the Holy Spirit wants to generate inside of us. Last week we looked at love, and today we're looking at the topic of joy. Now, as we all know, though, joy is a very complex topic, and I want to offer us an illustration of the complexities of joy in our lives. This cup represents our life this morning. It's green, kind of green grows, represents life. The reality is that joy and, and happiness and contentment seem to be constantly draining out of our lives. No matter how much we put in, Something causes the joy to drain out. It looks something like this. So you have experiences, you have relationships, you have conversations, you have accomplishments that put joy in your life. But we have these holes that cause the joy to drain out of our lives on a regular basis. Sometimes, it's, sometimes these holes represent pain or suffering or loss. It just seems to suck the joy out of us. Other times, this is indicative of the fact that those things that we look to for joy and contentment and satisfaction can't ultimately fulfill us long term. They offer a fleeting sense of joy. Almost everything in this life is that way. It offers just a fleeting, temporary type of joy. I even think of some of the biggest accomplishments that a person can have. I think of LeBron James. I shared this quote about a month ago, but I think it's very relevant right now. He was interviewed by USA Today last October at the beginning of this NBA season. His team the year before had won the NBA championship. He'd won another MVP award. I mean, at the top of the world, what he would have dreamt of his whole life. Four MVPs, two world championships at that point. Yet he said, what really got to me when we won the last NBA championship was how short of a time it lasted. The championship lasts just like that. The confetti rains. You go in the locker room, pop the champagne. You do the media. You have the parade. And then it's over. It's over. You're looking around, and everybody's back to normal. And he goes on in the interview to talk about how, really, that that was the best 48 hours of his life. But it faded. And it showed this reality that even when we have good things in our life that bring us a true sense of joy and happiness, even those things fade over time. And so we come back to that question of how do we maintain a sense of joy in our lives when, when it fades so easily? I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to dig into what God has to say uh, through the Apostle Paul about joy this morning. 
Our Father, we thank you that in the midst of a broken world, you do give us opportunities for joy. We recognize that, that joy is not easy. We recognize that even on this Mother's Day, that there are many, even here in our midst this morning, who have a mixed set of emotions, or maybe, maybe are mainly on the negative side, just as they're processing hard things. And I pray that you will meet each person who's in that category right where they are and give them comfort, Lord. Because you are our Heavenly Father who will never leave us nor forsake us and who loves us with an everlasting love. Lord, this morning, please help us to see with fresh eyes how we can have a joy that truly lasts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning we're focusing our attention on one verse, which is Philippians 4, verse 4. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So what Paul is doing here is he's saying that we should have joy all the time. Rejoice in the Lord always. There is no part of time that is not encapsulated by the idea of always. So he's saying have joy all the time, and this is a command. He's saying, you know what? God is asking that you—he's not asking, he's telling you you need to have joy. And just in case we missed it the first time, he says, I will say it again. Rejoice. And actually, this isn't even the first time in this letter he said it. Back in chapter 3, verse 1, one chapter earlier— he said, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. So three times in the span of just over one chapter of Scripture, we are given the command to rejoice in the Lord and to rejoice always. We need to recognize that, that because this is a command, to not have joy is actually to be disobedient. The idea of a joyless Christian really, according to the Bible, is, is a contradiction of terms. The word joyless should never, um, never describe a Christian. I mean, you think about it. I think about contradictions of terms, or at least what should be. You never want to hear the term embezzling describe a banker, right? You don't want to hear of an embezzling banker. In the same way, I mean, it's a tragedy when you hear the word adulteress modify a word like wife or husband. Those are things that just should never be. In the same way... Paul's saying there shouldn't be joyless Christians. Joy should be characterized the very essence of our lives if we are followers of Christ. And so we come to this passage that says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And we think, wow, that is really, really hard. How do we rejoice in the Lord always? I mean, I can have joy sometimes. I mean, even, even a majority of the time, but all the time, that's really, really hard. And so we, we look at this type of command and there are a number of different possible responses that we could give to this command. One thing that we could do is to ignore it. And we may think, why would I ignore a command? Well, a lot of people do this every single Sunday in church. If they hear Scripture, I mean, and they hear it being discussed, hear it being read, and it kind of goes in one ear and out the other. And by the time they're at the parking lot, at their car, it's already gone, whatever was discussed during church. So you could ignore it, just pretend like it's not there. Or you could choose to reject it. You could say, okay, um, this is really, really hard. I, um, I see that it's really good on paper, but it's too idealistic. I mean, Paul must not really know what I'm going through here. Paul, Paul must have not really suffered too much in his life to say something like this. And, and so you look at it and you're like, Okay, I like the idea behind it, but no, it's not really going to work. So why even try? 
And so, so some people may just outright reject this type of thing and say, nope, not realistic. I'm not even going to give it a shot. And I want to encourage us not to take one of these first two perspectives of ignore it or reject it. Because not only is it disobedient to God to take one of those two perspectives, but it really taints people's view of what Christianity is all about. Back in February, in the Chicago Tribune newspaper, uh, in the lifestyle section, there was a place where people could write in questions to Billy Graham, uh, the famous Christian evangelist who was primarily uh, working during the 20th century. Um, He's aging significantly now, but it was an opportunity to ask him questions. And so one man who went by the initial ZK, that's all we know about him, he, he wrote this letter. He said, you'll probably be offended by this, but I don't think I've ever met a Christian that I really liked. Most of the ones I've met seem so negative and unfriendly and out of touch with real life. Why would anyone, including me, ever want to be like them? And so this, this guy, maybe it's a girl, ZK, um, he's writing in saying, okay, I don't like Christians because they're negative, they're not friendly, they're out of touch with reality. And I would agree, if, if all Christians were this way, yeah, Christianity sure doesn't seem very, um, very attractive then. Think about what it would be like to live with this sense of joy through all circumstances that God is calling us to. Think about how attractive that would be if people would wonder, wow, how do you live with joy day in, day out? Where does that come from? And then we can point them to Christ. So I want to encourage and challenge us not to ignore this type of passage, not to reject it. I mean, a third option that we could do is to fake it. We see, well, okay, we're commanded to do this, and I see how it's a good thing. People at church are probably expecting me to do it, so it's hard, though, so I'll just kind of put on a smiley face even if I don't feel it on the inside. And so we come to church, and people are like, hey, how are you doing? And you're like, well, I'm doing great, even though on the way to church we may have had an argument with our spouse, or our kids may have been giving us a silent treatment, or our life may just be falling apart, or we're just kind of discouraged or frustrated because it's not living up to our dreams But on the outside, we put on the facade of everything's going well, and we're joyful because we feel like that's what we need to be. So we fake it. But this is not a call to hypocrisy here. What we need to do is actually to apply this passage to our lives. And there are a couple different ways that a person could seek to apply it. I think the natural default setting is just to grit our teeth and try to be joyful all the time, even though it's so hard. You could kind of take the mentality of Avis Rent-A-Car. Avis Rent-A-Car for decades had the motto, we try harder. This motto was developed back in 1962. Avis was not very profitable at that time. They only had an 11% share of the rental car market in America. And so they wanted to figure out some way to increase their sales, increase their productivity. And so they started this new marketing campaign that was plastered with the slogan, we try harder. And over the next four years, through that slogan, through the idea of trying harder than everyone else out there, their market share grew significantly from 11%. Four years later, it grew to 35% of the rental car business in America. So, so retry harder really worked for Avis. And many Christians take that same mentality of we look at Scripture and look at what God's calling us to, and we think, okay, I just need to try harder and grit my teeth and, and try to apply this. Now, for some of us, that may work all right for a while, especially if you are very self-disciplined and you have this internal drive, especially if you're pretty optimistic on this topic of joy. If you're naturally an optimist, joy is going to come pretty easily to you, at least to a significant degree. But over time, 
as, as trials and hardships begin to pile up in your life, um, as you work harder, it's going to be easy to get disillusioned. And then we want to throw in the towel and be like, you know what? I can't do this. I can't be joyful all the time. I can be joyful, you know, 50, 75% of the time, maybe even 80%, but man, the rest of that's hard all the time. But there's a second way to apply this, and this is the way that God's calling us to, and that's to surrender and say, God, I need your help. I can't do this myself. And that's why joy is called a fruit of the Spirit, because it's not something that we build fully in ourselves through our own hard work. It's, it's as the Holy Spirit is working inside of us, is in the driver's seat of our lives. That is how joy truly grows and lasts and is available in all circumstances. And I think the key here in this passage is the phrase, in the Lord. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. It doesn't say rejoice in circumstances, because there are certain circumstances in our lives that you would never, ever want to rejoice in, that you would not want to celebrate those circumstances. But Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I think we need to recognize the futility of pretty much every other source of joy that we may look to. Like we referenced earlier, we have these holes in our life that cause the joy to seep out. And even if we fill our life with things that seem pretty nice, pretty good, uh, they're certainly not inherently bad at all. Still, that joy seeps out over time. Just like water out of the holes of this cup, they won't stay in there. There's a really interesting passage in Jeremiah chapter 2. Um, it says, it's God speaking. He says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So, so God's saying, you know what? I am this metaphorical spring of living water that will give them a sense of life and, 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 and joy and hope and purpose. But they've forsaken me. They've gone after their own ways to find life and joy. And in, in this metaphor, they've dug their own cisterns. Cisterns, was, there was a holding tank back then. Sometimes people still have cisterns today. But it's a holding tank for water so that when it's not raining and you don't have um, water that's piped through the sewer system or through water pipes or whatever, water mains to your house, it's a way to hold water there. But he's saying, you know what, metaphor, in this metaphor, my people, they've rejected me and now they've dug their own cisterns, their broken cisterns, just like this, that can't hold water. But try as we might, I mean, we keep looking to more and more things that we can pour into our lives to build a sense of lasting joy. But as hard as we try, it keeps draining out, doesn't it? And also, one of the other things that creates challenges at times is that we have big losses, big hardships, big trials that leave a deep scar in our lives that just seem to drain all the joy out quickly. So you have like a big drill bit that comes into your life and causes the joy to leave a lot quicker. So now the joy just drains out all, all the more. And you talk with people, some people who have major problems in their life, and it's just like no matter how much joy they stick in there, it will not remain. It just keeps going out. So we have the futility of joy in any other source besides Christ. And that's why Paul here is pointing us to rejoice in the Lord. And it's really cool to look at how Jesus is really a model of joy. 
I mean, so many times when we think of Jesus, we think of this nice little serene guy. We think of like this, um, these paintings from hundreds of years ago of Jesus kind of just, just kind of like that in a garden praying or with a nice little sheep around his shoulders or something like that. And we miss the fact that joy was one of the central characteristics of who Jesus was. I mean, it's tough sometimes for us to imagine Jesus laughing and Jesus um, going around with a smile, but he did. I want to give you a few passages that talk about the joy that characterized Jesus. Even Jesus' birth was characterized by joy. In the classic Christmas passage out of Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, angels appeared to shepherds out in a field near Bethlehem. The angel said to the shepherds, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, the Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. So Jesus' birth was associated with great joy. In Jesus' ministry, he sent out his disciples on their first, first little ministry endeavor on their own without Jesus right there at his side, right there at their side. And they came back. They were all excited about what they had seen God do. Now listen to Jesus' response, Luke chapter 10, verse 21. It says, At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. And then he goes on in his praise of God. Did you hear that? He's full of joy. And that joy is in him through the Holy Spirit. John chapter 15, Jesus has just told them that, told his disciples, you know what, you need to remain connected to me as a branch is connected to the vines for life. He says, John 15 verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. See, Jesus has this joy that's just inside of him. And he wants to share that joy with others, so they too will have complete, lasting joy. John chapter 17, very soon before Jesus' crucifixion, he's praying to his heavenly Father for his disciples. And he, he prays, I'm coming to you now, Father, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they, meaning my disciples, may have the full measure of my joy within them. See, Jesus has this joy inside of him. Even as he's looking ahead to his crucifixion, he has this joy, and he wants to share that with others. And we know that Jesus' crucifixion was certainly not an easy path. I mean, it's full of anguish, full of, of, of pain, both, both physically and spiritually. But listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, describe what motivated Jesus to go through that. It says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy of, of being back on his heavenly throne with his heavenly Father. The joy of, of, of bringing salvation and forgiveness of sins and new life to everyone who would believe in him. That joy was what motivated him through all of that. So we see Jesus was characterized by joy. And Jesus' followers, after Jesus ascended into heaven, they tapped in to his joy. That's why Paul can say, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And he lived out this. I mean, he wasn't someone who was just sitting on a beach writing this letter to the Philippians. He was in jail. And jail was one of the nicer, um, easier forms of hardship that Paul faced in his life. In Acts chapter 16, uh, we see a picture of Paul in jail. Um, it says about midnight, Acts 16, 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And so, so the other prisoners are like, wow, what in the world's going on here? Here you have these guys that are just thrown in prison, and they're sitting here praising God because their hearts are filled with joy. They recognize that the circumstances don't dictate what 
is really um, good for them in their lives. And, I mean, you look at James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. James was uh, the half-brother of Jesus. And, and listen to what he says about joy. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And it goes on to talk about how this perseverance leads to spiritual maturity. But you hear what he said? Consider it joy whenever you face trials. And I think we may look at these things, look at Paul and look at, at, at James, and you're like, how, how in the world do you get joy from trials and suffering? I mean, you, you think about some of the headlines we see in our paper today. Um, you may be thinking, man, you guys must have been hanging out way too much in Colorado, smoking way too much weed. Something strange is going through your mind, and it's like, that doesn't make sense, doesn't compute that suffering can lead to joy. What's up here? We need to recognize, first of all, that suffering or that joy is different than happiness. Joy and happiness are not the same thing. Happiness is simply based on circumstances. It comes, it goes. I mean, if the stock market goes up, or if you get a job promotion, or if someone gives you a pat on the back, or if your sports team wins a big game, you have happiness. You're happy because of favorable circumstances. The stock market goes down. Someone says something bad about you. You get laid off. Any number of other things. Your team loses a big game. Your happiness level goes down because your happiness is based on happenings in life. It goes up and down. But joy is deeper than that. And we see our joy is in the Lord. And that joy cannot, should not change when it's in the Lord. It's deeper than that. It's more solid. And what suffering and trials do is it helps refocus us on the things that can really bring life. Focuses us on the things that really bring life. Think about it this way. If, if you have children anywhere in your life, or if you were a child at one point, which all of us were, you probably can think of times where you've heard, don't eat candy before supper because you're, you're going to ru- ruin your meal. See, well, candy has sugar in it. It gives you this sugar high that makes you feel satisfied for a very brief period of time and, and to the degree that you don't really want the good nourishment of protein uh, from vegetables, from fruits. So you're just, you're full of the sugar. And what, what happens then is you don't get that good nourishment. And what suffering does in our lives is it helps us focus on the good nourishment that comes from Christ, the joy that is founded in Him, rather than allowing us to continue to, to just look to those other things for joy that can't ultimately satisfy so suffering kind of refines us to that degree where we can focus on what brings us true joy rather than getting caught up in the things that just bring the happiness but not the joy. And so we see that we are called to rejoice in the Lord always. And, and one of the reasons that we should rejoice in the Lord is because he is, he's renewing us from the inside out. You see, one of the things that happens— is that as we internalize what Christ has done for us, he brings about a healing. Not in everything. I mean, we're still going to have challenges and trials in our life. But it's kind of like some of those holes that leak joy early in life. They begin to, get, um, they get, begin to heal up so that we don't leak quite as much joy. So it's like covering up some of those holes in this cup. And there's something bigger that takes place, though, when we're looking to Christ for joy. It's that he promises that the joy will start not just coming in in from the outside, 
Because typically what we're doing is looking for joy from our circumstances and from our friends and from others, and it still comes out. But what he says, he says in John chapter 7, a very profound statement. He says, if anyone believes in me, springs of living water will come from within him. And by this, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. And then those springs of living water will come. And, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit who will come and live inside of his followers. And that Holy Spirit will be like springs of living water. John chapter 7, 37 through 39. Springs of living water that can bring about this internal sense of joy that's not based on circumstances or happenings, but based on the Holy Spirit in us. And so what this picture is, is using this metaphor, is kind of like a hose. It's kind of like rather than just a little cup pouring water into our life, now we have a hose that is constantly on in our life, depositing this sense of lasting joy in there. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does living inside of us. Now, I was not brave enough to hook up this hose outside. I know I could have found enough hoses, but I don't know about your hoses at your house, but mine, those connections always leak, and I don't really feel like having water everywhere in here. But let me illustrate this a different way. If you have the Holy Spirit in your life, and he is in that driver's seat, he's not just going to give you a little bit that's going to leak out really quickly. He's going to fill you up to the point of overflowing. Well, there's so much that uh, it flows over in others. And when others see you, it's obvious that there's something that's giving you joy that's more than just your circumstances. Now, it still leaks out all over me and all over the table and all over the floor. (laughs) But you see the point. That the Holy Spirit will come live inside of us and give us a lasting sense of joy. Now, there's still a problem here. And that problem is that we are not immortal. The fact that death will come to all of us is one of those things that really can sap that sense of joy. That whatever we accomplish in this world, no no matter how much we learn, no matter how much we do in our jobs, no matter how much money we make, no matter how much we invest in other people's lives, there's that time that death comes to all of us. And that can really sense that, or sap that sense of joy in our lives. So here's essentially what happens when death comes to any of us. Our life at least on this earth, is done. No more joy here on this earth. No more ability to do anything. And and this reality of death is one of those things that just really saps that sense of joy from so many people. But when our joy is in Christ, we look to what Christ has accomplished for us. In Christ, death does not have the final say. But it's really just the beginning to something greater, uh, greater in heaven with him. And we have that hope. We have the confidence, the truth from, from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, where Paul says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your work in the Lord will not be in vain. It won't be in vain. That If you are investing yourself in things that last for eternity, nothing can take that away. Even death doesn't have the final word. We have the promise that when we get to heaven because of what Christ has accomplished for us, We are made new, better than we ever were here on this earth. Clean, pure. We're not going to leak joy then. And we're going to have access to an everlasting stream of joy in heaven. So that is a hope and a joy that can carry us through whatever we face in our lives. I mean, think about Jesus. What, What made him persevere through the cross was the joy set before him. And that joy can be ours as well. That we, like Jesus, can have joy here on this earth and joy that we look ahead to. 
Now, in closing, I just want to share a few practical tips for how can we really live out that joy in our lives. One thing to do is to intentionally focus on Christ each day. Each day. I mean, it doesn't take a lot, but just even to start the day with a little bit of prayer, a little bit of getting in the Scripture in order to focus us on Christ and to receive some of His joy from Him that He wants to share with us. If you don't currently read Scripture very often, I encourage you to make it a practice. It doesn't have to be long. Even start with just five minutes a day. If you aren't reading anywhere, I encourage you to start, like say, in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, one of the biographies of Jesus. Don't, you, don't, you don't even have to read a whole chapter a day. Read a paragraph if it's your starting point. And just reflect on what's going on there. How can Jesus give me joy through what I'm reading right there? Jesus, all the time, got away from the busyness of life and ministry in order to pray to his heavenly Father to be rejuvenated by him. And we need to do that same sort of thing to keep that joy in Christ. A second practical tip is to remove distractions from our lives. Jesus tells us what's known as the parable of the sower, where the sower goes out and sows seed that lands on a bunch of different types of soil. He says some of the seed falls among thorns. And listen to what he says, Matthew chapter uh, 13, verse 22. He says, The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Make it unfruitful. See, these other distractions, these thorns grow up around it, and it's not fruitful. And for us, we live in one of the busiest, most stressed societies in world history. And I think that busyness and stress oftentimes distracts us from the joy that could be ours in Christ. It's been said that if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And busyness pulls a lot of people away from the joy that can be found in Christ. So sometimes we just need to remove some of the distractions. Sometimes we do have sin in our lives that is preventing us from experiencing the joy of the Lord. And we need to repent of that, remove that from our lives too. Whatever is distracting us, move it out of the way. I think even social media and technology in our society is one of those things that saps a lot of people's joy. So maybe we even need to, to slow down on that, get that out of our lives a little bit in order to focus more on Christ and receive his joy. A third practical thing is, in difficult circumstances, choose to stay close to God. There's an interesting type of psalm called a lament psalm. It actually makes up about a third to half of all the psalms. A lament psalm is when the psalmists are just pouring out their heart to God and basically saying, God, life stinks. God, I feel like you've forgotten me. God, I don't like what's going on here. God, where are you? But there's something really interesting that takes place in all but one of the lament psalms. Psalm 88 doesn't do this, but all the others do. They all turn to praise and hope and trust in God at the end of the psalm. And it shows how um, our tendency when things get hard is to pull away from God. But the psalmists, through their lament psalms, actually draw close to God. They say, God, I don't like this, but they air their, their complaints to God, and they stay engaged with him. And there's something powerful that happens as we stay engaged with him. He will renew that sense of trust and hope and even joy through the difficult circumstances. And finally, stay engaged in Christian community. A natural thing that people do when we get stressed, when things aren't going very well, is that we tend to isolate ourselves and pull ourselves away from others. That's one of the worst things we can do. That's why the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 10, 25 says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching, the day of Christ's return. 
Let's encourage one another. Keep meeting together because joy is one of those things that's oftentimes transferable. That when you're around people who are joyful, it naturally lifts your spirits as well. And, and that's what happens when we're around Christians who are joyful. It can point us to the joy of Christ as well. Now, we do need to recognize that joy looks different in different people. It's not always a sense of exuberance. Let me show you a picture from one of the most joyful days, happy days of my life, my wedding day. This is right after Shelley and I were introduced as husband and wife for the first time. I want you to notice the difference of expression on our two faces. Now, Shelley is like, like she's so excited. I'm excited too. I don't think I'm any less excited than she is. I just have a different way of expressing it because we have different personalities. There are different ways of expressing joy. Joy can be expressed by saying hallelujah and praise the Lord and jumping up and down and all smiley all the time. But joy can also come from this quiet sense of confidence in God and this sense of hope and the sense of energy that comes from him as you're connected to Christ the vine. That can be joy as well. And so we need to recognize, you know what, joy looks different, but we are all called to rejoice in the Lord. I want to close with Revelation chapter 22. We've been keeping this, this idea of the water that, that brings joy in our lives. It's even one of the reasons why on our soggy, I'm the only one with a soggy bulletin cover probably. On the bulletin covers why we have water on that cover to represent John 7, the, the spring of living water living inside of us through the Spirit. But, but we have this, this promise that in heaven it's going to be full of joy because we're in the very presence of God. Revelation 22, verse 1 says, And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. This river of the water of life is something that when our faith is in him, we get to look forward to. It's going to be full of joy, full of vitality, full of love. And we get to look forward to that. And between this day and that, we have so many reasons still to have joy, no matter what's coming our way. So may we heed Paul's call to rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let's pray. Our Lord, we do confess that we live in a challenging world. And even that prospect of death is hard to get our minds around because it kind of brings to an end so much that we invest our lives in. But we thank you that we can invest our lives in Christ and in eternity and our relationship with him and in helping others grow closer to him. And we can have the promise that life on this earth is not the end of the story. Lord, we thank you that you give us joy even through our difficult circumstances. And for wherever any of us are in this room, Lord, please meet each of us there and help us to find ways to find more and more joy in and through Christ. Lord, we look forward to that day when we're reunited with you. But between now and then, may we rejoice in Christ and looking forward to that day when we'll have true joy in your presence. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.
Ship your 